Welcome to the Awakening the Warriors podcast. We are a safe space for women to discuss the events, lessons, and discoveries they've made on their journeys towards healing by facing the pain and trauma of their past. Here we will discuss and explore topics on breaking cycles and patterns that lead to poverty of self, spirit, energy, and peace. This podcast is not meant to replace or be a substitute for seeking support, care, and advice from a licensed therapist or professional. Be prepared to hear and become inspired by courageous women who have made the decision to rediscover themselves, prioritize themselves, explore passion, and seek ways to explore and live authentically and explore authentic relationships. I'm Frances Robin. Welcome to the Awakening the Warriors podcast. Let's get started. In studio with us today is Brenda Shaw. I want to share that the information contained in this episode has triggering information. There's also violence and other traumatic triggering content. Thank you for joining. Brenda, tell us about yourself. Go ahead, introduce yourself. My name is Brenda Joyce McDowell Wyatt Wesley Shaw. And I've only been married once. And where'd you get all those names? Well, I was born Brenda Joyce McDowell. Okay. My mom and my biological father divorced when I was six months old. And, but he lived around the corner from me with his other family. That's a whole nother deep level of rejection. And then she married My stepdad, who I originally took as my dad because he's the one that loved me. You know, he was the dad that loved me and provided for for us, you know, bought us a house the first time of me living in a house. It was great. It was great. And um, then a trauma catastrophe. I was in my second year in college at Washington University in St. Louis. My world went upside down. She shot it, but he did not die. Um, what, what happened? She shot him. Who did? My mother. Shot your stepfather. Shot my stepdad. And my world went upside down. Not that it hadn't been upside down before, but I wasn't. I just wasn't ready for that. I was in midterms and had seen the medical side of the campus and I was all excited, ready to go. My world was upside down. The only father image that I had uh, that loved me, he did not die, praise God, he didn't die, but it was a very confusing time. And my mother didn't serve any time for it and I didn't figure that out for the longest of time. Um, so when you were in college and everything was great with your family at home, with the father that loved you, you got a call from your mother telling you that she had shot your stepfather. No. Oh, I'm sorry. She told me she was in, you're right. Um, she was in the hospital and she said he put her there. She said he put her there. And, um, I didn't understand what was going on. I, came home, it was like a movie, it was surrealistic. I got her out of the hospital and we didn't go straight home. And we went to a hotel and I said, this is 
you know, what's going on? Why are we at a hotel? Her answer was, be quiet. You know, you don't ask her questions. You just do what she tells you to do. And how old were um, you at this time? I was 19. So at 19? No, I, was, I was 19. Okay. Uh-huh. And um, so we finally started home and the door locks were changed. And I'm going, what's going on here? And she called the uh, locksmith, got the doors open. Um, and just as soon as we were getting ready to go in, he pulls, my daddy pulls up in the driveway. All right, so I, I just wanna get it all clarified. Tell me, just summarize what just happened in your life. You were already on edge because of finals of college uh -huh. and not i thought home was a utopia I, I didn't know they were having any problems at all and then to come home suddenly and find out that they're fighting like cats and dogs and she shoots him and i'm standing next to her on the porch and she just lands into him with the with her gun and he's screaming and i'm standing there wondering what what is going on what are you doing i took the gun out of her hand she went in the house and called unity village uh in kansas city it's actually a cult but it's unity village and she poured herself a drink she was an alcoholic she poured herself a drink and told them, pray for me. I've just shot my husband. Your mother calls a cult she belongs to and she asks them to pray for her because she's just shot her husband. Exactly. Uh, uh, her husband that when you came home, you had to take the gun out of her hand. Yes, because she would have kept firing. And yeah, I took the gun out of her hand. And I could hear my dad screaming. Um, of course, the police were called. All the neighbors were out. Um, my mom went in a paddy wagon one way, and he went off in an ambulance in another way. I was let four, five, nine. All the news people were there. And I looked at just panoramic um, view about what all was going on with the neighbors and looking at the blood on the concrete. And I went in the house, I shut the door and I didn't remember anything else after that. That was not my first traumatic. It was like an accumulation of years of abuse with my mother that nobody else knew about but me and her. Um, but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and I didn't understand it. I was very confused. I did not finish college. Um, and there were just so many lies and so much conflict. And it was just horrible. It was horrible. I had a nervous breakdown after that. And how old were you then? 
I was 19. Okay, so all this happened in your, during your 19th year. Okay. But yeah. this but was the was, culmination of traumatic experiences. It was culmination of, yeah. of um, physical abuse, emotional abuse. I had every abuse there was except, except for sexual abuse. Uh, and I thank the Lord for um, sparing me that. But she was very abusive, but no one knew that. Do you recall, like, what what did you need, or who did you need, or what 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 would you have liked to have happen for you when you Back were then? yes. I wish she gave me things versus herself. Mm. Uh, I wish I would have had more of her, that maybe I could have understood her um, a little bit better. Our relationship would have been a little bit better. But as I grew older into the pre-teens and teens, teens, it became competitive. And... I wasn't trying to compete, but she was competitive. I had a 16, um, my 16th birthday party, and she took that over. And, you know, just crazy little things that make you feel less than. Um, when you when you say it was competitive, who did she think or who had was she competing with? She was competing she was with, competing with you. Competing with me. But with... Who is the prize of, for the of the competition? In her she mind, was. ah, okay. She was. Um, as I grew older, I realized she was narcissistic, very selfish. Um, but like I said, I had nice clothes. I had a nice room. I had everything you would think that would make me happy. So there was no appearance of any kind of abuse that someone could look at from, from someone from no. the outside looking. Every, every, have you ever seen the movie Mommy Dearest? I think so. And she, Joan Crawford, and she gave this perfect appearance of home, but home was not that wonderful. And she abused the, her older daughter and emotionally and uh, slaps and there was a scene in Mommy Dearest where um, Joan Crawford goes in and she looks at the bathroom and she said she didn't clean the bathroom and she took Comet and just threw it all over the all made a mess all over the bathroom and she looked in her closet and she saw a regular coat hanger because all of her coat hangers should have been wrapped in satin right and she found one regular coat hanger, wire coat hanger, and she beat her with it. Now, I've had the bathroom scene where she wouldn't would make me just clean, to clean. I was never really still. I had to, like a maid almost, I just had to clean. If a dish wasn't done right, um, she'd wake me up out of bed o'clock in the morning to do the whole sink of dishes all over again. She spent a lot of time in the hospital and so I had uh, her friends who would take care of me and they were wonderful. You know, I was in a good environment. They were 
nurtured me. And I think that's how I survived because there were times that she wasn't around. And I had people that actually loved me and would take care of me from, you know, a month at a time or however we group, however uh, time she took her to heal. And sometimes I wonder, were they all physical or was some of it psychological where she might have been, in, you know, recovering from, from that itself? And, you know, hurting people hurt people. Yeah. And so that's all I could as far as if I would say what was her reason for doing the things that she did. I'd wake up. I had a habit of sucking my bottom lip. And so I'd wake up in the middle of the night and she was sticking pins in my bottom lip. And just things like that that a mother wouldn't do to their child, not their only child, not anybody's child. At any point at all throughout your young life, did you tell anyone or was there anyone safe that you were able to tell any of this was that was happening to you? I didn't tell anybody until I was 40. 40. So, um, so what spurred on our conversation was um, you recently got married in a pandemic. And yeah. so we are with, we're, we're having a conversation about some of the things that you've experienced early in your life. And it's, it started with the different last names that you've had uh, that and you went on to explain the one of the mo other traumatic things that you've experienced was at the age of 19 when you had to take the gun out of your mother's hands after she had shot your stepfather. Exactly. Now let's go back to that moment after... You saw that, you took the gun out of her hand, you saw the news, they came to the house, one parent went one way, another parent went the other way, you're left, and that after the, the series of events that happened, you now have a mental breakdown, an emotional breakdown. Yeah, and absolutely. And what happened? Well, what happened to you? From me. They banded her from me for a while until I got myself together because... When I say it was a complete nervous breakdown, it was a complete nervous, nervous breakdown. Nervous breakdown, yes. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got out, but I got out too soon, I think, and she sent me straight back to school. And How I long have... were you, um, so I'm taking, you were in a, a facility um, to get help for the hospital. nervous, in a, a hospital. hospital. How long were you there? I couldn't tell you. Okay. I couldn't tell you. Um, and then she, they, they sent me back to school too early because I hadn't gotten it together enough to even think about classes or assignments or anything else. And I ended back in the hospital because I went back too soon. She pushed me back too soon. And in the meantime, I didn't know she was lying on me telling people that I had failed and I was flunking school and boy, so many. I didn't find this stuff out until I was 40 and 50 years old uh, about the lies that she told on me. Uh, you would, you're, so I heard she told my, like my stepbrother that I had had an uh, abortion and all of these things that just did not happen to me. How would you describe your relationship with your mom? 
I loved her. She died at 46. And I loved her, but I didn't understand. Well, see, I didn't have any comparison to what was normal because I was the only child. I never went anywhere. I didn't have contact with other families, not even our immediate family. Uh, so it's the uh, same thing that any abusive person does. They isolate me. So I was isolated from our family, and I wasn't allowed to play with uh, any of the kids in the neighborhood. So who was I going to tell? So there was no one in your life up until 40 to say to you that, Brenda, none of this was your fault? No. And it, there wasn't anyone in your life to help you recognize that what was happening to you wasn't good? No. And who was that person at 40 who brought that to your attention? That all your life with your mother up until the age where you were told the environment that you were in was a very unhealthy toxic. one. Mm -hmm. Toxic, very toxic. Um, I didn't find, I, the Lord showed me. Um, this is my survival. Um, so the Lord began to reveal things to me. Um, that I thought were normal and it was abnormal until I began to see how other people lived um, after the breakdown and not going back to school and just generally living life. Um, I got a bit rebellious with her, which I knew she would kill me for, it, but I didn't understand. I was angry at her. And I was angry at her for shooting my dad, who was really how I felt that it was the only person that really loved me. Um, so it was hard. And I, I didn't realize how hard it was until I got older. And I realized that I had really been through something. Um, what's that syndrome called? Um, Stockholm Syndrome. I think I had Stockholm Syndrome from my mother. And where you don't leave or you don't tell anybody about your abuse and you can't get away from them. Even when I was married, my first marriage, um, she was still very demanding. She was just ridiculously demanding, like to come clean her house and help her pack for her trips and all of these kind of little things like that. But then there were things that were just demeaning, you know, um, that she would say, you know, small things that would be demeaning that took my self-worth away. I truly believe that words have power. As a matter of fact, it's one of the sections in this revised edition of um, the wholeness journey. And a lot of times, uh, I think people are not even aware of the fact that the words that they speak have power. And when you speak it, you give life to them. And when you speak it over, you know, children in your 
household that you are responsible for, these are these are seeds that are being planted in your mind, in your psyche, in your spirit. And so you you have a mental uh, uh, a nervous breakdown at nineteen. You come back from that, however long time that time that was or not, and then it was, you... that was a year. Probably I didn't get it together. Uh, what about a year and a half? A year and a half. A year and a half. And you that come... I would I, that I would say that I was normal again because I would have it wasn't depression like your normal depression, I would just cry and I was just very emotional. Um, yeah, there are various forms and various levels of mm-hmm. how, you know, um, we experience trauma and it manifests itself in different ways. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, after being gone for a year and a half and coming back and you're still going through the trauma of reliving it and experiencing it and replaying it in your head, um, because you know, being a little older, our, our bodies have a, a a way of trying to protect itself. And one of the things about trauma is that it it gets replayed or it's suppressed or um, it just handled differently. And you get sent back to college too soon. Too soon, and then you have a nervous breakdown again. And then it was you, just a continuation of the first. Cause it's I a continuation never... of because you weren't healed. Mm-hmm. And then you were gone back to the hospital again for how long? I don't know how long. You don't know how long. And then, so I, this is what and, I was going to ask. And, 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 in that, and in that, when you have uh, those kind of emotional breakdowns, you lose part of yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were things that I could no longer remember. You know, everybody knows about geography and this, that. I lost a lot of information. You know, the computer had had enough. Mm-hmm. And it had crashed, and so you don't always get it back when you build it back up, build the computer back up. You lose some data sometimes. And, <laughs> and you I lost, were in, and I lost some data. And you were trying to rebuild. Your body was trying to rebuild and recover itself, and or store information how it was trying to. But then you got sent back to your mom, who put you back in an environment. So you're right. So you wasn't, you weren't completely healed. So it was ongoing and. I was going to ask you from those series of events that you've experienced, and then you said that you had gotten married. How did? How were you able to break away? One to to date, two to recover to a point where you could date, and three to um, to leave your mom. <laughs> okay. Uh, number one, I married my high school sweetheart. Um, I've known him and his family since I was 11. Okay. Um, but I married my mother. In the form of a man? In the form of a man. He was narcissistic, and but more subtle in the abuse. The go to the, um, um, what do you call it? Um, It was neglect, emotional neglect. Um, but the, uh, what do you do when you try to drive somebody crazy? Uh, <laughs> what was, what's the that gas word? gaslight them? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I was gas, I was gas lit. You're gas okay? lit. Mm-hmm. And 
So I was battling what was right. Now he wants to go outside. What <laughs> um, was up and what was down. And then one day, after two kids running a daycare and doing ministry at the same time. Wow. We're making a big jump here. Oh yeah. Okay, wait. Maybe maybe we jumped too soon. <laughs> I let's go back because I I, I I don't want to. you on all these details. Yes, yes. I, too big a jump, um, because after the nervous breakdown, what kind of help did anyone help you with? You know, None. I had no one to talk to, and therefore, I'm. Um, I'm different, I'm gonna put it that way. I'm different in that I began to play off my hurts. Mm. Okay, um, pause it, I've gotta let this dog. Okay. Worst form of deception. Well, and that's the thing, you know, um, a lot of times when we have to deal with the, the things that we've lived through, it's mm-hmm. like it's easy to pretend like to take on a uh, a new persona so that we don't have to deal with a lot of the pain because it's so much. But yeah, so what I was saying is I didn't want to jump too far ahead because I, there's you, you so you were dating in high school. You went on to college, so I'm that the person that you were dating, that dating relationship continued. So how did it, how were you able to continue dating? Through a uh, or and after a nervous breakdown, how was the guy oh, that you were dating? It, it takes time. Okay. It takes time because not only because you lose. Um, is my judgment right? Is my judgment wrong? So you were um, questioning everything. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You question so everything. How was he not aware that this was happening to you? Because I, I, you, you were, you, you've known each other so long, and then he was aware that you've had a nervous breakdown. What, um, what were some of the things that um, I don't even know how to ask it that became apparent, like in the relationship, that made him not even be aware to 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 help you heal, to help you seek healing. Because um, he was a narcissist. And, and he was that way even while you were dating that it was not, you weren't even a concern of his. Um, Your well-being. No, because a narcissist is a narcissist is a narcissist. And that means they are extremely selfish. To the point where he just ignored everything that you were experiencing only to focus on himself in the relationship? He knew, he knew exactly what I had gone through and he had went through some things at the same time. Okay. I And I knew... His circumstance, which I had empathy, compassion, all that for him, but I didn't get any in return because the narcissist knows no compassion. So at no time after the this, were you even able to get any kind of counseling, any kind of no. support? Um, and how long did you date him after high school, college, and after you left the hospital? How long did you date before you got married or before you two were married? Let's see. Let me get settled here. I um, 
I've known him since I was 11, dated him on and off during high school. Um, he went to the Navy. Okay. I went to college at the same time. Um, and I think I started dating someone and I wrote him a Dear John letter. It's so cute. I, I, I don't, I don't cheat. <laughs> um, so I wrote it and it devastated him. It devastated him and it was just, uh, I came back home from college, right? Still staying with my mother. I'm 21, uh, 21, 22. I'm working with her even. You know, there was just no getting away. She was a supervisor and I was her assistant. And what and kind of business was this at this time? Uh, this was um, in a mail room. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. This is in a mail room. Uh, and a fairly large hospital, which, and it was a large hospital, which, you know, you did a lot of running and walk, not running, but walking all over the hospital, delivering the mails and the inner. Um, male portion of the different departments of the hospital. And so when no one else, when someone else called in and they were sick or hungover or whatever, I'm the one that had to get up, even if it was my off day, I had to get up and go in for them. Okay. And well, that was a lot of responsibility. Um, yeah. Uh, but so at what age did you get married? At what age were you two married? I, I was 20, I was 24. Uh, he had, he was in L, he was in LA, um, got married to someone else and then they divorced or were in the proceedings of a divorce. And then one day he decided he'd call me at work. And that's all it took. Because I loved him all my life. <laughs> so I, I didn't let you finish. So you wrote him the Dear John letter because you were going to break up with him. Did you break up with him? Yes, I broke up with him. Okay. I broke up with him. Okay. I broke up with him um, just because, you know, I, I don't I don't play that cheating two or three boyfriends at one time and even <laughs> though he might have been overseas or whatever it didn't make any difference to me right. I had to live with myself so and um, how long were you married to him and what was that marriage like I was married to him for 34 years majority of my adult life so from from the age of 24 and 34 years into that 34 years later yeah. mm-hmm and I didn't recognize it again, just like I didn't recognize it with my mother. Mm. Because unless someone teaches you or some counselor sits down and tell you that you're being abused, you don't know you're being abused. You, you think that's norm, that's the norm, and it is far from norm. So what are some of the things that you, you endured and that with it in, in the marriage? Cause I, you know, Ms. Brenda, you and I, we've like, you know, we talked about in the beginning, we've spent the last two years prior to 2020 COVID, 
you know, meeting periodically several times a month. And so I know we've, you've shared a lot of this um, with me, but I wanted at one point in your marriage to your husband, you also became a, you opened your, your own business. So you had um, a daycare and you had nanny's house. You had nanny's and, house and you had. And, your... and, it was, and that in itself is a miracle because hurting people hurt people. And I wanted to, to be everything that my mother was not. So that I was your motivation. Of her. Yeah. So if I, with my own, I nurtured, nurtured them. And so I had this daycare and I poured my love that was, I've always had a big heart for love and people yeah. hugging people. And I poured out into them and their parents. So how did you discover that this is, the way to do that was through, the way to be not like your mother was through a daycare. How did you know that this was your thing? Um, and the way oh, that you... I, I, because it was me. It was me that to care for, to nurture. Um, and because I didn't want my children in someone else's daycare. Um, I felt responsible that I needed to take care of my own children. Uh, do you think sons. that those are some of the fears you have? For one thing, like you needed nurturing in your relationship with your mother. And the thing that you lacked, you wanted to give. Do you think that um, like some of the fears you had uh, of your children going into daycare is because of, one, the mistrust and the fear of, not, of them not being cared for properly? Yeah, and the one time that I picked my oldest up and he had a nice goose egg on his forehead and she couldn't explain to me what exactly happened to him. And then she let him go to sleep. So I said, last day. And that was, what you think that was the catalyst behind you opening your own daycare, finally giving yes. you a chance to do yes. those things? Yes. And how long did you have your daycare for? About 20 years. Yeah. Wow. And so one of the other things, um, congratulations, Ms. Brenda, you found your thing that you loved after overcoming so many, you know, obstacles from a child having no, you know, ability to uh, advocate for yourself or defend against the kind of abuse that you've endured to pursue wanting to become the nurturer. And, um, so I, I, I encourage you and my, my heart is, softened, you know, that when we talk about these things. Um, but I was going to share, even um, while you were uh, leading your own daycare, you also became a pastor. Well, you were, you were a pastor's wife. And then, pastor's wife, and then I became a co-pastor. And then you became a co-pastor. Walk me through the daycare and <laughs> the journey, too. You were just finding you, your life has... I've, I've, I'm reading a book, and it says, you know, how can we make what is crooked straight? Because, That's you know, it's the what the, the Lord has ordered, right? And so there's nothing we can do, but... I always go to Lord of the Rings because it's one of my best, famous, favorite journey movie. Along their journey, lots of crooked paths. And the, the book that I'm, I'm reading is The Winding Path to Transformation. It's what it's called. It's uh -huh. a, he said along the crooked paths is where transformation happens. Absolutely. And so I'm just listening to you share. And, and your path def definitely has been one marked with a lot of bends and dips and highs and lows. Um, how, 
did the journey continue from finding that being a child care provider so that you could be the nurturer to give what you didn't get lead you to becoming a, you know, how did the, the pastor's, pa the church pastoring role came about and then becoming a co-pastor? How did that uh, happen? We got saved about 1974, 73, no, 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 77, little Jimmy was um, about a year old. So how long were you in your marriage at this time? Oh, you're going to make me do math. I am so sorry. 10 years, 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just developing like time. Okay, okay. Yeah, something like that. A little less. Um, and we got saved together. Okay. I knew I was, I got saved. I don't, now looking back on it, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, if he was just hiding or not wanting to look at himself. But, you know, when you get saved, the Lord works with you. And <clears throat> he shows you your errors. And he lovingly the Lord lovingly heals you and little baby steps and his love, the Lord's love gave me the love for everybody else, including those that mistreated me. So um, your faith has been the the encouragement and the sustaining support in your life the one consistent thing no doubt about it so um and to tell me i i know we've talked but your church experience with that your leadership experience that you and your husband um took on is very interesting can you tell us a little bit about that oh what part um well, I, I suspect you, you had a healthy, vibrant church. Yes, we were at a mega church in Kansas City. Um, I was over the nursery. Not only would I work 12 hours at home, I'd go to church and run their nursery as well. So my Sundays were extremely long Wednesdays and Sundays. Um What was the question? I forgot the point of the question. No, so no, I, I loved how you, you shared um, that you worked the nursery, but how did you and your husband become to lead that mega church? Um, he wanted to start his own church. He started his own church. Um, and we had some people um, that joined along with us. It lasted for a while, and then we got called back our home church uh, to do a specific ministry to a discipleship ministry um, and that was that and we ran that for a while he uh, did several um, programs within the, the church we were back at our church for about 14 years a little less, and um, he decided he want you know it's because you know you gotta have to submit and have a what's the word I'm looking for you have to have a servant's heart 
to be even be in ministry. You have to like people. And so we left again and started our own church. And I, that's when I became a co-pastor. And during all these times, I was actually, my, my part in the majority of the ministry was telephone ministry. Okay. And um, that's where I did a, a lot of counseling. Now, isn't that something that I can counsel? I've never been counseled myself. Do you, do you believe in counseling? Um, to I definitely believe in counseling. I didn't get counseling till on everything in my life. I didn't get counseling until I came to Virginia. How long ago was that? Six years ago. Wow. wow. And um, the Lord and the Word did the majority of it and kept me on the, on the straight and narrow, okay? Um, I wasn't, as a child, I didn't like to be t- disciplined, so I really did not like for the Lord to dis- discipline me. So I was pretty straight. I was a pretty straight Christian. I wanted to do what was right. In my heart, I wanted to do what was right. I didn't want to do wrong. I didn't, you know, we, in the, when I was in the world, I used to drink and smoke cigarettes and gave all that up and didn't flinch because it was displeasing to the Lord. So it was displeasing to me. So, um, wow, this, this, you know, you, you hear stories of people and their faith and the transformation that they experience through healing, but your faith and the commitment to um, trusting that God was, had it all in under control and taken care of you, right? kept you and helped, like steered your decisions. Yeah. And also, um, when he left, I didn't know he was going to leave me. Um, I had went to the store, came home with groceries and and said, what's going on? The house was kind of disarray and he was packing. He was getting ready to leave. And that's the first time I had heard of it. So wait a second, you and your husband inherited a mega church. You led mostly the phone. No, we didn't inherit the mega church. We left. Oh, you left? We left there and started a small church. We have, it was small. Um, and I, there can be many reasons why, because you know, when you're in a large church, you can't hide. You really can't, not if you're in leadership. And I think he just was trying to hide from himself and everyone else. Um, we had never talked about divorce. We had never, um, like I said, I, I didn't know whether I'd be naive. Some people say, oh, you knew you had hints. I probably did, but that's all I had been used to. And no, I didn't see the hints coming. I really didn't. <laughs> Um, so you, you and your, you would describe that you and the relationship that you and your husband was in was pretty steady, constant, nothing alarming. It was difficulties. So in your marriage, you were having difficulties. Mm -hmm. It was difficulties, but you know, I didn't want to divorce and I didn't, I didn't believe in divorce at the time. And, um, and I wanted to do what was right before the Lord. And you were willing to do whatever it took to make sure that your marriage 
existed without yes. exploring divorce. Yes. And but we never talked about divorce until he left. Hmm. So yeah, yet walk that what did that look like for you? <laughs> that was abandonment plus. Hmm. It was abandonment plus and again my world went upside down. And when so uh, that so there's the pattern here, right? So your world gets rocked, uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, like throughout your 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 definitely your formative years and your teen, your adolescent years, your teenage years, your young adult years, and now even your adult years and yeah. your mature adult years inside of your marriage, it's rocked again. How did what did that look like, and what did you do? It was more painful than the mm -hmm. physical pain that I'm going through even today. Uh, a lot of traumas build health issues. And I have a lot of health issues because I didn't talk to anyone about anything. And so when you do that, your pain goes in and you get sick. Uh, I battle now with inflammation, fibromyalgia, and all those things that are connected to your nerves. So, and I've got um, um, nerve damage. It's no other way to put it. That all those years of living, all those years of abuse from mom and the ex, all of that contributed to my physical condition today. Um, when your nerves get rattled, that affects your whole body mm -hmm. and will tend to uh, break down your body. I just praise the Lord I don't look like what I've been through. So mm -hmm. I'm just grateful. I was grateful to the Lord. Uh, but when he left, I was glad because that part of the hurt that's all I had left to do was to heal from that. And it took me almost 10 years because like a narcissist, he kept hovering. It's called hoovering, not hovering, hoovering, coming back and saying, oh, how are you doing today? Da, 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 da. And he kept doing that and I, it would draw you back, but I never drew him back into my life. Into your intimate personal spaces. You kept no. a casual relationship with him? No. No, no. I, after I got older and did my own research, I realized that's what you have to do when you're with a narcissist. You have to break clean, break away. But they will always try to hoover. It's called hoover, H-O-O-V-E-R-I-N-G, hoovering. So you, 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 you didn't entertain divorce however you experienced it and you went through a process of divorce after you, 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 I think you were saying you went to the store and when you returned, he was packing. He was packed. So, he was packed, ready to go. Oh, he was already packed. He and, was packed. And left you. Yes. And again, you were left to heal. How did you heal? How, what did you do and how, what did that look like? What, what, effort uh, well, did you make uh -huh. to, to help you get through that? I had one person, she was a psychologist that came by the house to see if I needed anything. 
um, after he left, no one came around. All the friends you thought you had, the frenemies, <laughs> they were all gone. What about members from your church? Okay. Where were they? After serving in it and counseling everybody that I counseled, where were they? They knew what I was going through. They knew he had left. So you were, I was abandoned, not just from him, but from everybody else. And I was alone again. And your church community. My kids were, my kids were grown and on their own. And um, I was alone again for the first time in a long time. And it's, the healing process was extremely painful because I sat in the chair and rocked like what I'm doing about now. I rocked, but the Holy Spirit took me back over my life a little bit. And I could begin to glean the things that were out of sorts and why some things happened the way they did, why the finances went haywire. And and it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, he comes back and confirms. Um, and he was just totally exposed. Um, and what could you do? He left me. He didn't leave me. Let me put it this way. He didn't leave me. He left the Lord. He left the Lord because he just, that's just the way that it was. He backslid and um, he left the Lord long before he left me. So, and you have to accept some things and some things you have to accept are very, very painful. And again, since I hadn't talked with anyone, it all went internal. Um, when I came here and then I realized I had not talked about any of my past, my childhood or anything, I did go to a, a counselor uh, for about a year and a half. Um, And I told her everything that I'm telling you today. And she just said, I don't understand how you survived. And I, <laughs> and I told her it was the Lord. It was all him. I could feel his presence and know that he was with me when nobody else was. So after your, your husband abandoned you via divorce, you remained by yourself for a while and start learning and in the in the quiet in the in the in the 14 years about 14 years by yourself mm -hmm. and then you arrived here which is actually where our conversation started because we started out talking about you getting married in a pandemic so i'm yeah. so happy that we're not kind of coming full circle because i i appreciate you sharing and just telling the part that you finally had an opportunity after all these years to spend a year and a half with someone talking through the trauma, the pain, the abandonment, mm -hmm. um, the breakdowns, the abuse, um, like all different types of trauma that you've just shared. Um, and to arrive at a place where your, your counselor, you know, is all also experience 
the shock of your resilience. Um, and I, I read, I'm reading another book. It's by, it's called My Grandmother's Hands and it's by Resma Manikim and I'll share that. Um, and he talks about a lot how trauma is carried in the body. Pain is carried in the body and it can, yes. you know, um, transform and transcend and move from generation to generation. And another book that had been shared with me is The Body Keeps a Score. So it remembers. I I read that. Oh, you did. I I'm, I'm actually yes. listening to the audio book. Um, uh, sure, I didn't read it. I was the audio book. Yeah, and uh, and to understand, like you know, a lot of the things that we're not able to understand, and I appreciate you sharing that. You you haven't you, you didn't have an opportunity to talk to a lot of people. You didn't have an outlet per se. But then you arrived here about six years ago, and then your life just started t taking a different turn by one starting. Again. Yeah, I felt like I was in the promised land. Wow, I want to. I want to. I want to know. It was what... heavy. It was heavy. I'd never known um, the freedom, or uh, although I must say. I was leery of churches because I had been done in almost by every church. So I had a, um, I love the Lord, but I was sick of the politics of church. You want nothing to do with church? Not when I first came here. I love the Lord deeply, but I had been scarred mm -hmm. by, by the leaderships. Mm -hmm. of churches yeah well it's widely known like in in, uh, in all the areas and institution where um mm, it, it's widely known that churches and and other institution and place where people spend a lot of time also it becomes a place of pain and trauma and it's no secret mm -hmm. that the church is one of those places um mm -hmm. especially because it's rooted in a system that's designed to be a mechanism to deliver love and balance and openness and acceptance. And so a lot of people go there with that expectation, but often we are scarred by the relationships because perfection doesn't exist within the churches. Um, but an expectation yeah, and, of and perfection is what that's the, that I've exists there. I've always said too that, uh, and my, the pastor there said at first, I, I take on his words, he said, a church is just a hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's full of hurting people. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, we have to recognize, and it has to be, in that case, it has to be a, an institution where love has to be more authentic. Yeah. Over, yeah, yeah. abundance. Rather uh, than the scars. Yeah. Yes. Taught forgiveness. Yes. People don't know how to forgive. Yeah. And people need, there's stages of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And um, the church needs to teach those things. Um, and I truly believe that there are, like, it, it should actually become a requirement for every person who's going to hold leadership positions within a church to be expect, expected to go to start at talk therapy. We all Absolutely. have experienced trauma and it would be, it, you hurt people, hurt people. And when you are hurt and you, some, for some people who, who don't even know that they've experienced trauma, but they're put in a leadership position to take care of people who have been traumatized, it, 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 it can produce more hurt. It produces more hurt. Um, and they hurt themselves in the process oh, because yeah. they know what they're doing. 
it's a continuous wounding. It, it, it is a yeah. continuous wounding. Um, and so <laughs> our conversation is always super rich. I just love it so much. And I just hope everyone who's listening, um, if uh, we have to put a, a trigger warning on here because there's so much that has been shared. Um, but I do want people who are listening to this to find information and resources to help them one you've shared you know a lot of a lot about the abuse that you've experienced but uh, the there there's help that's available um and it looks differently for everyone but even in your traumatized state and your brokenness you were able to and your woundedness um i say brokenness but i actually um really have to work on using that word but um we we were healing is is an option it's possible and um six years ago you moved here six years ago four and a half years ago you received counseling to deal with over 40 years of trauma and then what our conversation started on was you dropping nuggets because you got married in a pandemic. So we're back at your nuggets that you were dropping, but nobody was picking up your nuggets because no, it was it completely was missed. Man. It, wasn't man. it was only one man. No, well, yeah, well, the one, no, no the, the, the person that you were dropping your hints to weren't picking yeah. up on them because he was no longer in a season where he had time to figure out what you're doing. So tell us what that looked like, because I think it's super fascinating and it it makes, it warms my heart because I think it's also super cute. (laughs) Um, What did, what did that look like? It was a a breath of fresh air. Uh, It all happened in church too, right? The very place that, yeah. Oh yeah, it's all church. This, I I, I live, they call me the church lady. Um, (laughs) It all happened in church, you know, and, um, listen, celibate for all of those years and knowing that I did not want to offend the Lord by abusing my body. And I was, I was celibate all that time. After um, separating, after divorcing your, after your husband divorced you. After yeah. he divorced me. Absolutely. Um, I don't even know where to go from there, but it was just growing in the Lord and getting in the word and knowing how his love is and how his love is true. Um, True, wholesome, whatever. And when you're loved and know your love back in return, healing starts. Um, When I got married to uh, Wayne, my wonderful Boaz. Of how many months? Nine months. (laughs) Congratulations, newlyweds. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. I'm just as happy as I want to be. I feel like I'm 16 if my body would cooperate. (laughs) Oh, bless you. It was at a um, Christmas ordeal. And we were talking at the curate, you know, making coffee, asking what kind of coffee he liked and whatever. And and there was instant chemistry, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't play. It was instant chemistry. Um, And my kids teased me about it because they said, I haven't seen you grin like that in a long time. They knew something was was up with you. 
Huh? They knew something was going on. Yeah, they did. They knew something was going on when we were standing just talking at the cure. They said, oh, I saw you smiling and, you know, so I don't want to start blushing. But it was just wonderful. Um, he didn't pick up on the, on the crumbs for a while uh, because he had kind of went through some things that I had. Um, and he was married, for, had been married for 30 years. Mm. So um, we were both taking it slow. And I had told the Lord, I said, Lord, it's been 13 whatever years it was. I said, and no one has even asked me out for coffee. I said, what is that? And the answer I got back was, it's for your protection. And so I, I accepted it and went right along. You know, he'll find you. The word says a man that finds a wife finds a good thing. So I wasn't looking. I dropped, like I said, I dropped in crumbs being cheap and all. But I really was not looking. My heart wasn't ready yet. And he and didn't he even pick up on your little hints. So <laughs> he, he, he called him towards the end, towards the end. And he how started, long did that last? Oh, it was quick. Let me tell you that. Okay. He called and asked me out for coffee. And that. that's all I needed. I said, oh, Lord, coffee. <laughs> and I was just thrilled. And we talked for hours. And we talked for hours on the phone. And, you know, asking all the questions you need to ask somebody if you're interested in somebody um, as a partner um, in Christ. And um, we stayed holy. We stayed pure. Um and the Lord blessed us. See, you got to do it the Lord's way. You can't do it your way. Amen. And I have found that if you do it the Lord's way, he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings you won't have room enough to receive. So how, would you, how would you describe your season of blessings with your Boaz? Oh, my goodness. The things that I left at home and gave away that I had in my house and everything. Um, I love to cook and I left all my pots and pans and I just left everything and came here. And physically, I've been, I've been sick for 36 years, waiting on the Lord, the manifestation of it all. And I did not know if I could be the wife that I wanted to be and, and do the things such as cooking and laundry and um, mopping floors and that kind of thing. Um, and so we had had those kind of conversations and I told him how my health was and all of these things and he, it didn't seem to phase him. It didn't seem to phase him at all. Um, and the next thing you knew, there were like sparks in your heart palpitating and uh, <laughs> romance was on. Um, it was quick. Uh, I, did, I didn't, when the pandemic hit, I couldn't see him going home to an empty house and me staying with my son who I lived with 
he blessed me to stay with him. And it just like, no, that's just not right. And so we talked about it some more and um, set a date for way down yonder somewhere. And we said, no, that's too far away. You know, we're going to have to do something. You know, let's let's do this. So we we really did uh, giggled and did all the fun things and in holiness. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It doesn't always have to be. um, We were attracted to each other, but but the Holy Spirit will hold you. That's what I want to say. People that say, you know, I can't be um, um, uh, faithful to the Lord in that area. But, you know, if you love the Lord, you don't want to hurt him. And you don't want to defile yourself. So we stayed at a distance. And um, the Lord blessed us. The things that I'm going to go back to the things that I had left and given away guess where they were right here in his house oh wow i gave i gave away a, a very expensive uh cast iron red my favorite color red uh pot that you could take a tough piece of roast and turn it into lip smacking good right so i, I was kind of sad in my heart about leaving some things and and so when I came here, and he, he kept looking at Leah's, because Leah's got one. And uh, and he was looking at it, picking the top up. And well, we were over to the house one day, and and uh, he says, you like this kind of pot? And I said, oh, I love it. I love I gave mine away at, at home. And he says, hmm, I got one. It's the same color. I said, really? <laughs> and when I came into the house, you know, it's a bachelor pre- bachelor townhouse, um, but it had everything that I thought I had lost. It was here, um, and it was him with him, not just the stuff, but there were confirmations that he was the one. So I didn't lose a thing, but I gained an awesome, awesome relationship with him. You're going to have to share some of those pictures with me so that I could share with everyone so that they, we could celebrate in your joy and um, in your love with your, your yeah. wonderful husband. I wanted yes. to ask you, like, for the different stages of pain and grief and trauma that you've experienced, there are people, and I have read many reports, especially during this pandemic, um, now that children are not in school and um they the relief they had from being in environments where there is abuse um and or um being in um settings where parents really don't have uh, the attention and that doesn't even mean abuse but parents don't have um the bandwidth to uh to to cater to some of the needs and not I'm not, I'm not referring to parents who are stressed out about virtual learning. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about where in a home and in homes where there are abuse. 
um, yes. and that's being placed on them. Like speak, and then and then colleges. We know that college, on college on college campuses, um, the rape percentage um, is very high, and a lot of times um, it's unreported or it's reported in a casual manner. And um, the limitations there are with campus police and you know county and um, state and local police, and the limitations that those things bring in terms of being able to confidently report. A, a, a rape, and then in marriage, inside of marriages, a lot of times people don't talk about the abuse and even rape and um, emotional abuse and tra- other types of traumatic ab- abuse that exist. And the reason I'm saying all those different things because you, in every season of your life and growth stage, you experience a various, like a different kind of abuse. So what would you, um, and thank you for sharing, by the way, I just want to be very gentle in handling your information and, and your story. And I appreciate you, you being so patient in sharing all of it. How would you speak to uh, individuals who are in children in abusive homes? Um, and what would you say to them? And what would you say to people to help them recognize that their children in abusive homes and to young adults and college kids and women in abusive marriages who are afraid to seek help. Just speak to people who have been in similar situations that you've been. I uh, work with Christ in Action, as you know, and I did um, counseling with them, uh, became a chaplain with them. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of phone calls that are respond to uh, women who are in extreme abuse and don't know what to do, don't know where to go, don't have any money because the husband or the wife, it happens on both. It's just not women, it's men as well. Yeah. Um, And they get the gaslighting, they get everything. I, I think narcissism is more of a problem than anything. Um, You can quarrel about whether you want pancakes or whether you want bacon and eggs, but when it's detrimental to your health, to your um, mental stability, your emotional stability, that's serious. and the first thing that they have to do is recognize that they're in trouble. Um, And I've talked to some people more than once, more than twice, the same person, because they couldn't grasp the fact that they were in an abusive situation. Uh, And that's that uh, Stockholm syndrome that I spoke of earlier. And it's, you can't get out of it because uh, you don't have any financial base for it because the money from the other partner has been taken or for whatever reason. Um, they have to get help, um, even if it's pa- I've suggested packing a bag and calling a hotline and just to get out of the house to start over again because it becomes so... to the core, to the core of your being, that you lose yourself. You don't know who you are anymore. Um, And they have to get help and they have to get counseling. And I should have gotten counseling 
earlier. But the counselor that I did have, she was blaming me. And I didn't agree with that. You know, no, no one's perfect. But, and I think she blamed me too because I didn't leave earlier. Well, I was at the mindset that I wanted my marriage to last. Um, and so that's what I was going for. And so I, I don't, she was a Christian counselor and all, and I, and I love her, but you have to be careful. Even if you've been in one relationship that was narcissistic, you have to be careful not to fall back into that pit again. Um, because they see your weaknesses. They see that you're loving, you're kind, and that you can be used. And what you are to a narcissist is just a source um, to get whatever he wants, to get whatever, um, whether it's money, whether it's um, uh, sexual addiction, whether it's um, anything. Uh, they want what they want when they want it. Um, and life just isn't like that. Uh, it's almost like they're delusional. You know, life is not like that. But then the partner that is with them, they have, someone has to point it out to them. A friend is one that even if it hurts, you tell them the truth. And I think looking back on some things that people noticed that things weren't quite right but they never came to me and said, did you know this wasn't normal? Um, I never had anyone come and tell me that. But we need to help each other. And <clears throat> it's a very heavy load. And if you have kids, four and five kids, you feel trapped. And almost impossible to leave. But this is the deal. Once a narcissist has you in such a grip, they actually begin to hate you and will start doing bodily harm to you um, because they're just not getting their way the way they think they want their way. Um, I was impressed with Google um, and the things that Google had to say about narcissistic personalities. And it's something that the church needs to talk about. It's something that I think everyone needs to be aware of because the women or the men don't really understand what happened. Um, and people, oh yes, you knew exactly what it was going on. No, and it's not that you're naive, you just, your perception, because you love this person, because of the perception that you have and the love that you have of this person, you almost don't believe it yourself. And that's why it's so hard to get out of it. Yeah. I so appreciate you sharing um, in such detailed um, explanations um, and I, th I thank you so much for speaking to 
directly to people about what you've gone through. And I, like you, I believe the church because people flock to the church to find Mm -hmm. a bomb for whatever the pain it is that they're experiencing. Mm -hmm. And not every pastor at that church that's a pastoral counselor have actually gone to counseling school to learn how to deal Mm -hmm. with the trauma that they're often presented with. I mean, like you said, you know, the pastor said that the church is a hospital for the broken. And so I do believe, and I said it once and I'll continue to say that if you're going to be in leadership position in the church and not just over women's ministry, because people are hurting people across the board in every age category, I believe the leaders should be trained in trauma care. And um, since the church is also known for producing a lot of that trauma. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. I, I, I thank you for the time that you've taken to share um, the, your story about your wonderful Mr. Boaz. Um, uh, I, I, I thank you for calling, recalling those memories. Those aren't very easy things to do. And I thank you for um, participating willingly. I thank you. I you, thank you. And you just look... That, as, as, as even though going back and telling the stories there's no pain you're glowing there's no pain yes because when he heals you yeah and you truly forgive all those who despise you and do to do you harm and you from your heart forgive them no matter what they do you heal and And you heal to the point where you can talk about it and it no longer hurts. There's no more pain. I am so happy that you have in in the six. You know what? Six years to heal, begin the process and the journey towards healing of over forty plus years of abuse. I am so thankful that you made the change and you took intentional steps to seek support and help, um, and to to now continue to be that nurturer that you you yeah. you knew you were you were. Thank, and you now you're nurturing other people, other women, myself <laughs> included. So I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I love it. This is this is what I feel. Uh, I'm not uh, one to be on the front stage, front front and center, but I love the one on one and where you can get intimate with someone and know their heart, because um, that they can trust you and you can trust them. And with God in the middle of that, it's nothing left but healing. Thank you. And don't forget to send me one of the pictures because I want to share it too. Okay. When I introduce this podcast, I can't wait to share it. I'll send you a clip of it. I'll probably break it up in like maybe three segments because we went for so long. But it's a beautiful (laughs) story. It's just beautiful. And I'm just thank you for sharing it with me. And I'm thankful to... To have been in this space where I could help you tell it because I know you're going to just continue telling it even more. Yeah. Thank you, Ms. I'm transparent. I'm pretty transparent. Yeah, you are. You've been listening to Awakening the Warriors podcast a safe space for women to share their stories about the journey they've been on in an effort to pursue passion by facing the pain and trauma of their past. Thank you for joining us. You could also find us on Facebook 
at Awakening the Warriors. And you could also request to join our private Facebook group to deep dive into other conversation with similar women who are on various stages of their journey. Thank you for joining us and thank you for participating in the conversation at Awakening the Warriors podcast. Mm-hmm.